Welcome to Kids Considered, where two pediatricians discuss children's health topics of interest to parents in a podcast with new subjects considered every episode. I'm Dr. Lena Vanderlist. And I'm Dr. Dean Blumberg. And we're both pediatricians at UC Davis Children's Hospital in Sacramento, California. So spring is in the air, the sky is blue, the daffodils are blooming, the trees are blossoming. And I am sneezing. Yeah, sneezing, me too, sneezing, runny nose, and that's the one drawback to the glorious season of spring, at least in Sacramento where we live, it's that allergies can really be horrendous in the spring for people who have seasonal allergies. Absolutely. Like this year started and I was like, well, this is going to be fun. Is it COVID or is it allergies? How often am I going to be testing myself um, this spring? And it's been a lot. But talking about allergies is not really new for us here on the podcast. We've touched on food allergies before. We've talked about penicillin allergy with Dr. Victoria Dimitriades. And we briefly reviewed pet allergies on our pet episode. So maybe some of our listeners remember what causes our immune system to mount an allergic response. Right. But today we're going to review seasonal allergies, what causes them, how to treat them. And so we'd like to welcome a special guest, Dr. An Nguyen, to Kids Consider today to join us in this discussion. Dr. Nguyen is an allergist immunologist here at UC Davis Children's Hospital, and she has a special interest in allergic rhinoconjunctivitis, and we'll let her define that for us, <laughs> and asthma. And so, Dr. Nguyen, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and I look forward to our discussion. So I have to say, growing up in Southern California, in San Diego, I never experienced allergies. And then I actually went to UC Davis for undergrad. And all of a sudden, I was like, I thought I had like a chronic sinusitis or something like that. It was like chronic pressure, cough. Why are some areas so much worse than other areas? Yeah, that's a great question. So allergens are everywhere, of course. There's no place without them, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but in terms of um, pollen allergy, you know, California coastal cities, like where you lived before, San Diego, San Francisco, um, generally will have lower pollen counts. Because what we say is the, the ocean breeze can rinse the allergens from the air up to about a quarter mile or so inland. So beaches are excellent year-round destination for people um, that suffer from pollen allergy. Altitude is another factor that can limit pollen productions as well. And so uh, people who live at higher altitude generally are exposed to lead pollens than people who live closer to sea level. Um, but, you know, in general, uh, with climate change, the general trend that we see is that there has been an increased prevalence of allergy, allergic rhinitis. Um, and we it could be due to longer pollen season because of warmer temperature or increased carbon dioxide. We're not really sure, but it's probably a multifactorial issues at this point. So that's very interesting. So everybody's got to get back to the beach is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> if you can. <laughs> yeah. Or at least go there for vacation. <laughs> mm -hmm. So parents often come to the office with young children like a year or so old, and they've got congestion, and they say, oh, it must be seasonal allergies. But 
I always thought that it took at least one season of exposure before you could develop seasonal allergies. So is this true? I mean, at what age do allergies typically start presenting in children? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It usually takes more than a year. So pollen, as we've been discussing, is a type of allergen. It's airborne substance that come from your grass, your flowering plants, your trees and weeds. When someone complains of hay fever, it's due to their immune system identifying these pollens as threats and release a lot of signals that can lead to congestion, itchy eyes, runny nose, sneezing, sinus pressure, allergic conjunctivitis, you know, issues. It usually takes re-exposure to the same allergen to cause your body to find these pollens, allergen, and react. And so you typically won't see them. Present Kids present with allergic uh, rhinitis or conjunctivitis until they're about age five or so. And so, I mean, definitely you do see them earlier, like three to four years of age, but it won't be seasonal. It's usually something indoor related at those um, age instead of uh, seasonal allergy causing by your pollens. And so, you know, that that can help. Age helps, also seasonality helps to determine whether or not um, it's allergy versus like the cold or in your case, Lena, COVID-related <laughs> <laughs> symptoms. So that is really helpful, actually. And, you know, even I'm learning something because that five years is actually a little older than I would have expected typically. So that's great to know. How common is this hay fever or the true seasonal allergy to pollen? How many, what percentage of people have that? It's more common than you think. Just in the U.S. alone, based on the CDC data, 65 million Americans that either have asthma and or allergies. It is the third leading chronic conditions in children, affecting up to 40 percent of kids. And the recent stat, most recent one we have is in 2018, but it reports about 5.2 million children with hay fever just in the past 12 months where they did the survey. And what we do know, as I uh, previously uh, mentioned before, is the numbers are increasing worldwide. And so we only expect an increase in number um, as we go forward. And who should we blame the most about this? I mean, what are the most common environmental (laughs) triggers that are really offending kids? Yeah, so pollens, basically they're the major outdoor air allergens that you will find. So pollen from grasses, tree, wheat, um, mold spores. In Sacramento, it's a lot of time it's the trees and the grass. That's what most kids have issues with. You know, and they do vary geographically. They vary by season. So also depends on where you live and what you're allergic to that depends determine how bad your symptoms are in what season. <laughs> right. So speaking of that, what would you say is the most typical season or time of the year for allergy flares? And is there anything else that makes it worse? So like, you know, we, I think about smoke from wildfires or like particularly windy days or after it rains or something like that. Most kids that I see have really bad allergy symptoms during spring through sort of early summer. And so 
those people with uh, spring symptoms uh, likely have allergy to your tree pollens. Um, people with grass pollen allergy will typically have worse symptoms in late spring to early summer. And so that's why you kind of see that pattern from spring to kind of through early summer. Kids with allergy to wheat pollen will have more symptoms in the fall. Lots of people are multi-sensitized, so you know, they're allergic to more than one type of pollen. So you can definitely be symptomatic through all of the warm <laughs> weather season. <laughs> Lucky them. Lucky them. And pollens are carried by wind. So definitely windy days can make your symptom worse. And irritants like smoke, strong odor, changes in temperature, humidity in the air... All of these can cause the inflammation in your nose that's already there because you're allergic to the increase and get worse for sure. And what are the typical symptoms of seasonal allergies? Yeah, the typical symptom is usually runny nose and sneezing. That's why it's so hard to tell if you are sick <laughs> versus when if you're allergic. But I think a few things that can really help and uh, primarily itching. If you have itching with any of them, right? So itchy nose, itchy eyes in conjunction to swelling eyes, redness, all of those are a sign of histamine mediated. Um, so a type of allergic uh, reaction. So then you really can be sure those are more allergic reaction rather than a cold so it sounds like the the itching is the thing that helps us tell it apart as general pediatricians or parents, maybe. Absolutely. Seasonality, too, right? So if, if, if you are fortunate and this kid is like 10, then did you have it in the last five years or is it just this particular season, you know, this particular month, you know? And then besides those typical symptoms that we see, like the runny nose, the itchy eyes, the scratchy throat, are there any physical exam findings that we can look out for in the office that would point us towards the fact that they have seasonal allergies? Yeah, absolutely. So in chronic allergic rhinitis, you can see allergic shiners, which are dark area under the eyes. Um, and you can also see sign of allergic salute, which are creases of nasal bridges from rubbing the nose too often. <laughs> so those are will be two good physical exams to look for. Right. How about like family history? Would would that lend itself to saying that it might be more allergies? Family history of allergic rhinitis increases the child atopy risk, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the child will have allergic rhinitis. So it can help you in a um, broader sense, like looking at the kid as a whole picture, but it doesn't necessarily tell you that if parents have it, yes, then these symptoms are due to allergies. Right. And Dr. Nguyen mentioned atopy, and I think we've talked about that before. And we call that the atopic triad. It basically involves kids having allergies, eczema, and asthma. Um, it kind of means that they're like more reactive in general to their environment. So Dr. Nguyen, how are seasonal allergies diagnosed? As allergists, um, we can identify the triggers uh, for seasonal allergy by taking a history. And then for diagnostic testing, we can either do blood testing or skin testing um, to help you identify what allergen you're allergic to. So, yeah, we had talked with food allergies in our food allergy episode. We talked about doing the blood test or the skin prick testing. 
So do you do that for all kids with seasonal allergies? Um, I offer to parents often. Um, it kind of depends on what they've already tried and what their goal is uh, to know about the allergen that their kids may be allergic to. Yeah, let's say they really have mild symptom. It doesn't bother them. It only come a few times a year. Then perhaps knowing the specific allergen is not really going to change how the kids will play or medication that you might use. And so in those cases, you may not need to do any sort of testing and just treat as needed. But because most people that do come to us already have, you know, moderate symptoms or having some uh, wanting to know what they may be allergic to, then we definitely would do serum or skin prick testing to find out. And because allergic rhinitis depend upon exposure to the allergen, it's often helpful once you identify the allergen, then we can find ways to avoid them. And um, if avoidance is not enough, then we can introduce medications and other therapies. Let's move on to treatment. So let's say a child has fairly mild allergy symptoms um, in the spring on days when they have soccer practice, so they're outside in the local park, and the mother notes that he comes home with a runny nose and itchy eyes and sneezing and has a mildly scratchy throat. So how would you recommend treating this with antihistamines, with nasal sprays, with eye drops, with all the <laughs> all above? All of the above. Great answer. <laughs> so in this case, I would recommend using allergy medication before the plant activities with known exposure. So like in this kiddo, I would recommend using cetirizine um, or, you know, brand name Zyrtect and nasal steroids such as Flonase about 30 minutes prior to suppress the histamine reactivities. And that can help let the kid play without having, you know, significant symptoms. And then eye drop and nasal steroids can always be used afterwards as needed as well. What more importantly, like after playing, especially in grass or, or rolling around uh, in the grass or tree area, is that uh, you want to limit the continued exposure, immediately removing the clothes, taking a shower, taking a bath, all of those will help. In general, for your seasonal allergy, there's no need to take antihistamine. If you're consistent with your nasal steroids, that's all you really need. And it's nasal steroids and nasal um, antihistamine uh, spray in combination. They work really well. Most of us know fluticasone or Flonase as like the go-to nasal steroid, but what would the other nasal spray that you recommend be? You know, even fluticasone, there's new formulations now that come with fluticasone. So especially in younger kids, kids averse to using nasal uh, spray, I would recommend using Sensimist. It's mist when it comes out. You don't have to worry about their technique. It's not dripping. It doesn't cause bitterness because there's no dripping in the back so they're not as um, resistant to taking those so Flonase Sensimus uh, is a good choice for kid in terms of nasal steroids in terms of nasal antihistamine um, there's several in the market Astelin or Azelastine is the formulary name for it you can get that over the counter now that has slightly higher complaint of bitter tasting than olopatadine or patinase. So, um, you know, you can try either one. 
usually Aston is cheaper to start, so usually that's what we recommend. There's also combination nasal spray, which has both, which is Dimista. Often difficult to get with entrance, but you know if they can afford it, that's a good one. You don't have to use both of them separately. That's just a lot of volumes, uh, hard to tolerate, especially you know in younger younger kids. They are coming out with other one too, like basically Zyrtec for your nose, which is it's not available yet, but hopefully soon. And so how would you treat more severe disease? So say that they they take that over-the-counter allergy medication, they do the Flonase, they do the eye drops, and and these aren't working and it's still impacting kids' ability to play outside. What are those next steps? Yeah, so right now is a great time to think about um, the next step away moving on from pharmacotherapy. I say we're fortunate to have the ability to really get to the root of the allergy. We do have medications that can change the underlying immune system through the various uh, immunotherapy that we have available. So few therapies available is subcutaneous immunotherapy. There's also sublingual immunotherapy. There's also intraepithelial, uh, lymphatic but so really, does that mean that your like <laughs> sublingual would be under the tongue? One would be like a, an injection, right? And then correct, yeah. What yeah. It, what was the subepithelial? So you can actually do intralymphatic. So you can do intralymphatic as well as epicutaneous um, shots for your allergy. And these are more research-based, last European-based. The European have more uh, forms available than we do in terms of um, immunotherapies. Interesting. So it would be like specifically targeting the injection into the lymphatic system yep. as opposed to like your, your you know, just like an upper arm shot like we're used to yep. getting. Mm-hmm. Wow. What about allergy shots? Who's the best candidate for your typical allergy shots? Yeah, so allergy shots, we've mentioned, that's the traditional subcutaneous immunotherapy. That's the one that we have for over 100 years now, can definitely treat underlying allergy. The difference between allergy shots and your topical steroids or oral medications is it can train your immune system to basically tolerate the things you're allergic to. So um, instead of reacting to them, you see them all the time. Now you tolerate them. You will no longer create this whole cycle of releasing chemical mediator, histamine, itching, sneezing, right? And so the indications to start shots are multiple different things to consider. Treatments of allergic rhinitis that basically fail topical nasal steroids, people who have allergic rhinitis that don't want to use over-the-counter medications anymore. Kids with allergic asthma are really good candidates to start shots on because it can help both the allergies and their asthma. Um, We can also do allergy shot for people with severe reactions to insect sting um, and so that have been really shown to reduce the chance of, of just having anaphylactic in the field in general. How often are they getting these shots if they do need them? Allergy shots is not fun. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's a shot. Your kids won't like it. And it's a lot of time investment in the very beginning. You have to come at least once a week to once every two weeks in the first four to six months. 
And that's because we are giving you something you're allergic to. And so we have to give it to you in very controlled, small dosage with small increase um, at a time. Otherwise, your body will have a very severe allergic reaction to it. And then after that first four to six months of what we call buildup, then it's spaced to every month. So you just get it once a month. And it is recommended to continue this treatment for at least three years. So it's a long time. But what we do know is, especially if we do it in kids, is that if you commit that three years, it's a much longer lasting effect after you are finished. It can last for years. Some people can last into adulthood. Unfortunately, it doesn't last your whole lifetime because your body will forget. Your immune system is smart, <laughs> um, but it, it can work for a very long period of time. So I think we talked a little bit about like managing, you know, I, as a general pediatrician, this is kind of bread and butter, at least the early stages of diagnosing recommending the over-the-counter medications, the the nasal sprays, the eye drops. Well, at what point is it appropriate for me to say, okay, this is getting a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I'm going to send this person over to Dr. Nguyen with allergy. The decision to begin allergy shots um, depends on a number of factors. We talk about failing medication requirements, but it's up to patient preference as well. Like I've mentioned, if they really want to try a way to change how the immune system works, that will be a good time to refer, especially those who you think that they can do the commitment to such a long um, period of therapy. And then, of course, those with asthma, allergic asthma, as I mentioned, because it can really help them. Kids with really bad eczema can benefit from shots as well. Dustmite uh, shots or tablet have been, really been shown to help reduce the eczema flare. And, you know, I think those are the big one. And anyone with like unsatisfactory quality of life, right, just from their allergy in general can, can benefit. Dr. Nguyen, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, so I know we talk a lot about allergy shots, but in the last few years, um, there have been sublingual immunotherapies that's approved uh, for kids in general. So this is a much more palatable alternative. <laughs> no pun intended, yeah. since you're going to be right? taking it um, <laughs> under your tongue. Exactly. Especially for children, you know, it's tough to get shots every week. But these tablets, as Nina mentioned, is Taken under the tongue is approved in the U.S. for grass, dust mite, and ragweed. And so if you are allergic to those, this would be a good alternative therapy to allergy shot to look into. And is it the same where you come in once a week in the beginning and it's administered in the office? Or is it something people can do from home? Yeah, that's a great question. So the great thing about the sublingual immunotherapy tablets is that they can be taken at home. It's just your first visit have to be in a clinic for monitoring. The risk of allergic reaction is there, but it is a lot lower. And so you can definitely just take it from home. Um, usually we recommend taking it several months before your allergic season. And then you take it through your allergic season and stop, or you can take it year-round, kind of depends on you. Um, we definitely still recommend doing these tablets for at least three years, so same sort of durations as um, the allergy shots that we've discussed. 
Yeah, that definitely seems like a better option for kids. Yeah, the problem is in the U.S., allergy droplets, which you can do for tree pollens, is not available. So you only have uh, limited grass, essentially, for kids in less than 18 years of age. So it is limited, but it's, it's there. And if you're a good candidate, that would be a really good therapy to look into. Well, we'd like to thank Dr. Ann Nguyen, an allergy immunology specialist at UC Davis Children's Hospital, for joining us for this episode, although Dr. Lena and I take full responsibility for any errors or misinformation. Shall we summarize today's topic? Yeah, let's. So seasonal allergies vary by location depending on pollen counts. Right, but they're super common. So they affect 40% of kids, and they have a wide variety of common symptoms. Mm-hmm, which include runny nose, itchy eyes, and sneezing. Yeah, it seems like the big thing to differentiate these from your common cold is like the itching. So usually we don't have as much itching when we're just sick. They usually present at about five years of age, and they're the third leading chronic condition in children, affecting 40% of children. For diagnosis, your general pediatrician may just make the diagnosis, but it can be assisted by getting serum testing for the specific allergies that you have in the environment or skin prick testing. Treatment is generally a combination of antihistamines, nasal sprays, and eye drops, and it's best to treat before exposure to the allergen. Right. But if those don't work, you can go to an allergist for more advanced um, treatment, which we learned about today, including sublingual immunotherapy or allergy shots. And remember also to limit exposure to the allergen. So um, once your kid is exposed, then when they come home, they can change their clothes and shower or bathe to get rid of um, to, to limit further exposure to the allergen. I have a question that I have in general. Local honey. (laughs) Because this is a thing that families will ask about. And I mean, I feel like I heard about before I was in medicine. And it it sort of like theoretically makes a little bit of sense. Like the bees are flying around to all the local flowers and stuff. And then they're making the honey. Is there any evidence to support that local honey helps allergies? Well, unfortunately, no. You can save your money (laughs) instead of buying local honey. So, you know, theoretically, it should work because technically local honey has higher amount of pollens. um, So you're basically trying to desensitize yourself orally to these pollens. The reason why it doesn't work is the amount of pollens in these local honeys are so small. It's not enough (laughs) to really change your immune system. In fact, they have a lot of different other products from bees like wax, propolis, things like that, that can actually cause allergic reaction. So (laughs) I um, definitely do not recommend spending your money on local honey. Unless you just want it for like adding it to toast or something. Oh, that's I endorse. Super yummy. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely should do that. And that reminds me of a joke. Okay, let's hear it. All right, let's hear it. Did you know that bees are allergic to pollen? No. Yeah, because when they get exposed to pollen, they develop hives. (laughs) (laughs) What a perfect segue. We didn't even plan it. (laughs) That wraps up this episode of Kids Considered. 
You can find more information on our website, kidsconsidered.ucdavis.edu. Follow us on Twitter at Kids Considered. And Instagram at Kids Considered. If you have feedback on this show or topics you would like us to discuss in the future, we would love to hear from you. Please call us. Our number is 916-915-3388. Or email us at kidsconsidered at gmail.com. Please rate us on iTunes or wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and we hope you will join us for our next podcast. Kids Considered is sponsored by UC Davis Children's Hospital. 